0: Working drummer.
1: I'll kick it.
0: This is the Working Drummer podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros, advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business.
2: Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer podcast. I'm Zach Albetta. This week's interview is with Mr. Dylan Wissing, who has become a go-to for producers, artists, and bands of all types. For the past 10 years, he has been the proprietor of Triple Colossal Studios in Hoboken, New Jersey, just one subway stop outside of Manhattan, where he has recorded drum tracks for a who's who of pop music stars, as well as clients for film and TV. Perhaps his most famous credit is the iconic Alicia Keys anthem, Girl on Fire, which is a perfect example of the kind of work Dylan is known for, a combination of drums, beats, tuning, and recording techniques that take a track from good to great. Please visit us at WorkingDrummer.net, where you can check out past episodes and learn more about who we are and what we're about. There are also ways for you to support what we do here. Along the right side of the homepage, you'll see buttons for PayPal and Patreon, and every donation in any amount is greatly appreciated. You can follow us on social media and share pics and videos of your gigs on Instagram using the hashtag WorkingDrummer to get reposted. Finally, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, and your ratings and reviews on those platforms are very helpful. So this was a cool talk with Dylan that uh, really got me thinking. I'm probably like a lot of you in that lately I've been focusing more on my sound and tone on the drums and less about the content or technical side of my drumming, so it was great to hear Dylan's ideas in that regard. Here we go. Hope you dig it. Speaking of Indiana, I, I kind of want to start from the beginning with you. Um, sure. Yeah, I saw in your bio that you have an Indiana connection as well. Yeah, I went to Ball State for three years. I got my undergrad there, um, and uh, so and you grew up in Bloomington, right, or near
1: there?
0: Yeah, I was um, I was born in Bloomington. We moved away in the early seventies for a couple of years to Vermont, hmm. and um, and then back to Bloomington. Pretty much as long as I can remember. I was I was in Bloomington from about um, from when I was five until I was about um, just after college, actually. And then Indianapolis just up the road. Right. Right. So,
2: I mean, Bloomington has a, a, a hell of a musical legacy uh, with IU and kind of in all genres. Like it's a, there's a huge classical program there, uh, -hmm. an amazing jazz program that, you know, Peter Erskine came out of and there's a whole rock tradition because Kenny Aronoff lives there and Sean Pelton is from around there, both of whom are mentioned in your bio. Yeah. Um, so was, was that just, were, were those guys just kind of in, in town and in the air as you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. It was, it was a great town to be a drummer. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Uh, yeah, so my I started playing officially. I mean, I, I started banging on pots and pans as a kid, or as a baby, actually. Uh, um, my uncles had a, a set of drums that I wasn't allowed anywhere near, but um, I was obsessed by. Right. Course, I think because they were blue sparkle and I'm kind of colorblind, so the, the blue caught my eye and the noise <laughs> caught my eye, and that's why a lot of my drums are blue. Um, going back to, you know, some early 70s Ludwig kid that my... Uh, my, my uncles had but yeah. um yeah i started in school band officially in sixth grade had a, a great band program and um right around the same time my my parents were friends with kenny mm-hmm. uh just from uh, you know being around town it's not it's not that big a town and and uh they ran in some of the same circles my dad was in you know kenny's wedding party i actually just read kenny's book um uh sex drums and rock and roll and <laughs> stuff in the early days i remember being sort of you know either at or you know remember hearing about it so that was kind of funny to read and sort of go back through uh my own memory lane yeah um it, you studied oh you studied with both those guys right with Kenny and and Sean Pelton mm-hmm. yeah so um i had one lesson with Kenny in when I was in eighth grade and it was at his place he'd set up a little recording a uh, little recording room in his basement. I and mean, that was my first time ever ever you know recording anything in, in any kind of studio so mm-hmm. uh, and I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen I like, had this, this room with all these drums everywhere and, right. you know a kit mic'd up and a, a tape machine and, and the whole thing so uh, I got to I get to record a, a breakdown drum overdub for something he was working on and um, and that's that always stuck with me.
1: Hmm.
0: And, I mean, it's still, now I'm in a room with a bunch of drums and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> you never left that room, did you? No, no. <laughs> I, I, I think my path was pretty much set from about eighth grade. I just knew, you know, I'm a drummer. Right. That's it. Right. Uh, nothing, nothing was going to get in my way. So, so I had the one lesson with Kenny then, um, uh, you know, he got insanely busy, so he was never around. Mm-hmm. Um, so in uh, when I was a junior in high school, I started studying with Sean Pelton, who was who was at IU studying with Kenny as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, at that time, I was I was pretty heavily jazz focused. Um, you know, I was big into the jazz band and that and that whole scene. Right. And, um, uh, so so Sean was doing the same thing. He was a you know a jazz studies major at at IU at the School of Music. So I, I thought at the time, you know, that's the path for me. I'm going to go be a jazz studies guy and. and you know, move to New York and, and, uh, be a jazz player. Right. Um, you know, I did all state jazz band and the whole, the whole thing. It was, it was really cool. I had a, a, another, a, an amazing high school band program with Janice Stockhouse. And, um, through, through that, I met some, some great, uh, great teachers. I started playing with a, um, a uh, salsa band, playing congas, uh, had another great teacher, um, uh, Diana Valdez, who's now a, she's a professor of percussion down in, in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she taught me, gave me some conga lessons, learned that. And um.
2: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, that salsa band, because I, yeah. I, I read about it again in your bio. And, and it, it got me thinking, I, I interviewed uh, Daphne Prieto recently. Okay. And he talked about um, how in, in Western music and pop music, we tend to you know, establish pulse first and then mm-hmm. superimpose rhythms and interpretations over the pulse. And he talked about approaching it from the other direction. Start with the rhythm, start with those phrases and interpretations, and let the pulse kind of be dictated by that and come out of that. So I'm, I'm wondering if, if your experience you know, playing congas in that salsa band um, yeah. uh, you know, influenced you in, in that way in your approach to groove, to interpretation, to different flavors of
0: swing, um, if that's right. the right word. Um, not specifically for me. I, I think what I took out of it, a few things. Um, one was, that was the first time I really understood what it meant was when a band was grooving. Mm. I mean, um, that it, it was an you know, 11 piece band. I was the only guy that didn't speak Spanish. So, you know, I was trying to figure out oh, what's going on in my school. what's happening? <laughs> right. And I get it yet. So, you know, okay. I just keep going. Um, you know, and I was never, I was never a soloist. My job was just, I held on the Ford and the I said, everyone else. Um, but I, you know, it was an amazing experience. So yeah, for me, it was really understanding. Okay. Right. This is what it feels like when a band is grooving. Yeah. Um, and just the feeling of when, you know, the percussion section would start up, man, it would just feel like a machine. I'm just this incredibly well-oiled machine. I just, that feeling of, you know, this thing is firing. This thing's on. You know, right. everybody's, everybody's got their part. They all meshed together beautifully. You know, everyone's listening to each other reflected, playing as day on the dance floor. Right, Which was, you know that at the end of the day through whatever i do that's what i i want to see whatever i'm playing it physically moves people whether they know anything about music at all or not no the music starts and they are physically compelled to either get up or dance in their seat or ta- whatever yep, it is. yep you know i i want to see you know the the shows that that's kind of why sort of on the tangent how i i kind of got out of the jazz scene uh i you know the shows where people sit and politely listen and then clap at the end. Also, why I'm not a classical player. Right. I, A, don't have the discipline, B, don't have the. Yeah, you know, blah, 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 lots of reasons. Yeah, no, I'm I'm
2: identifying with you completely right now because I have the same kind of background. I did the college jazz thing, and, and I right. lived in Kansas City for seven years, and I got degrees in classical music. And at a certain point, I looked around and I was like, "Well, this is this is good, but I want to play for like a room full of people that are partying." <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> right. Know?
0: Where it's just part of the, it's just part of the celebration, part of the everything yes. instead of the sort of jewel box thing that yes. you know, yeah, which, yeah, which is cool I mean I listen to a lot of classical and I listen to a lot of jazz these days
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. just as listening to music and, and it's kind of nice that a lot of it has nothing to do with what I'm working on so mm-hmm. it's just I can just enjoy it purely as music instead right. of there's some music I listen to for enjoyment and some music I listen to for work
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um, you know so it, it's great and, and man kudos to everybody who's creating amazing jazz classical Everything. Yes. Um, yeah. The, you know. I, I had kind of an issue at the. I was a lousy. So you know. So to back up, you know, <laughs> study with Sean, studying with with. Uh, so then Kenny started teaching. I actually know Kenny will teach you. So I, I was studying with Sean. I I eventually got into the uh, the music school. Actually, I actually had audition twice because I just was not prepared the first time around, largely because of the classical stuff. I just had zero marimba chops. Right. Um. Um. And um, luckily I had a, a teach another great, amazing teacher, Rebecca Kite, who's still very much, you know, teaching some high-level marimba. Yeah, here. I know that. I know that name. She And she's composed some stuff for marimba. Oh, yeah, she's yeah, she's yeah, yeah. And, I mean, at the time she was actually building her own timpani in a shed. Whoa. I, it was really <laughs> incredible stuff. She <laughs> she took pity on me and said, all right, you know, I'm going to teach you how to play marimba, kid. Uh-huh. Um, and she did. She, you know, taught me enough to get into school, but I'm— I, I really just wanted to play marimba like a drum set. Right. And a complete fail on that instrument. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, everybody knew it. And, uh, so sorry. Of, you know, okay. Sort of burn all my bridges and all right. I'm, I'm not a jazz studies major anymore. That's right. Uh, that's, uh, so I ended up with the, with the French degree, but I, I played a lot more drums as a French major than I did as a jazz studies major, which hmm. is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and there was, uh, you know, there, I don't know if it's still a thing, but back then, the the music school was heavily classical, classically focused, and uh, there was this whole division of these guys talking about playing legit percussion, and I just, there was something that really stuck with me, I, I realized I'm just way happier playing, you know, all the illegitimate percussion, <laughs> you know what I mean, it's, I, oh God, I'm you with know. you, man, yeah, yeah. Symphony, triangle, snare drum, yeah amazing instruments they're not the only legitimate you know i maybe time i'm, I'm hoping that's changed because uh that was sort of annoying yeah yeah
2: well it's it's something we've talked about before there's kind of i think it's less so these days but there there is this um kind of environment in a lot of uh collegiate music programs where um and it's not just limited to to drums it has to do with like you know uh, brass departments and um, mm-hmm. All you know, all the instruments that that you could go either way, either classical or, or jazz. There's, uh, you know, there's a resentment among some um, percussion professors, for example, uh, mm-hmm. that um, you know some of their students spend some of their time working on drum set or playing in jazz band, right? You know, um, and that's that's you know, I don't want that to be a blanket statement because there are plenty who. Sure. You know, cover all the bases and are happy to do so. But there's there's definitely an environment in some places where the the classical camp uh, looks askance at the jazz camp, <laughs> right? 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 Uh, which I don't think serves anybody, especially when it comes to drums, because there's just so many ways, so many things to do in the world of percussion. Um, you know? Yeah. Anyway, okay, I'm off the soapbox for a minute. Uh, I'm off mine too. Yeah, I'll, we'll we'll get
0: back up in a second. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so, so all through that time, I, I was still studying with, uh, with Sean and, um, Sean was, you know, finishing up his degree when, when Sean left IU to come to New York, uh, I took a, a gig with a guy called, uh, I think it was John Eddie. And, um, so when, when Sean left town, I got picked up a couple of his gigs and, and started teaching, um, and, um, I, I took over his, his teaching spot. So I did that for a while to, to pay the bills and, mm-hmm. uh, um, finishing up my my lame french degree right i'm, I'm so glad that n- never once in my music career has anyone asked me for my you know whether or not i have a degree and thank god they've never asked for my gpa right oh <laughs> uh, yes yeah. <well>, you know <laughs> just just got out of there by the skin of your teeth huh
1: exactly yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my stress dreams are always still oh you know it's my last last semester last final and i've Realized I've never been to the class once all semester. I'm the faintest idea what anyone's talking about. Yeah, man,
2: I've had that dream. I've I've Uh, had variations of that dream where I'm back in college and mm -hmm. you know can't find the class I'm supposed to be in or or (laughs) you know oh shit I'm supposed to do a recital today nobody told me and (laughs) here I am in my pants to do it. Oh crap. (laughs) Oh man. Um, So so at the time that you're kind of graduating, um, and still in Indiana, are, are you looking at what Sean's doing and what Kenny's doing? And like, do you already kind of have one foot out the door? Uh,
0: no, not exactly. Um, so, you know, I I was, I was based in Bloomington and, um, uh, maybe I was, uh, I think my, one of my last year or two, you know, how many years I was in college. It was sort of the, uh, the animal house timetable, but, (laughs) uh, uh, sort of one of my senior years, I think, um some guys in the um I met through Smith Holden Music, which was the local mom and pop music store um in Bloomington that uh, I was teaching at, that Sean was teaching at as well. Um, I met some guys who wanted to start a band. It sounded like fun. I got some some of the music school guys, my buddy uh Josh Silbert on on saxophone, um, some other people, and we we started this band called Johnny Sacco, which originally Kind of started as a joke. I mean, we just did our first show. We dressed up as Kiss and played a bunch of stupid, stupid covers. <laughs> um, but pretty quickly, it took off. Um, we started playing a lot, and and this was at sort of at the tail end of a kind of a period in the Midwest when you could make real money playing in these clubs. So mm-hmm. you know, you, the band would be booked Thursday through Sunday, and 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 these places make you know big piles of cash at the end of it. Um, We didn't see big piles of cash, but, you know, (laughs) we started doing this and realized, oh, my God, you know, the band's taking off. We're playing bigger shows more and more. Um, All right. You know, let's go. Let's get this uh, degree over with because I want to get on the road. You know, I want to do this band. And uh, definitely from Sean and Kenny, I, you know, had a faint idea of how to play drums in the studio. And and, uh, so we started recording pretty early on. Um, you know, and just tried to learn everything I could, but this is also very much pre internet Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how anything works, and certainly no tutorials. Right, uh, you know, I know we would all do things a lot differently today than we did back in 19. That band started in
2: 1990,
0: 1990 actually. Wow, Uh, yeah, long, long time ago. Sorry, around (laughs) doing it for a while. Um, um, so yeah, so. So basically, I was just trying to get get my degree out of the way, didn't matter what it was, as long as there was some piece of paper that, okay, yeah, yeah, that's done. Right. Uh, we just hit the road. We did that for 13 years nonstop. And that was kind of my only, that was my only gig for 13 years. Wow. Uh, touring with, with this band. And we, we toured the States endlessly. We did 2,000-some like, shows. Right. Uh, just circling America in crappy old vans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah slept on a lot of floors yeah more more than a few concrete floors oof you know just trying to you know we were in the trenches right and so
2: like now do you um do you recommend that kind of experience at least for a little
0: while i do i really do um it's i mean i've seen everything you can see on the road aside from somebody dying and i'm have, I hope that never changes. Right. Uh, But, you know, everything good, everything bad, you know, people blowing up, people, you know, people's marriages blowing up, Mm -hmm. uh, (sighs) tires blowing up on the highway, you know, fix alternators in the middle of the night on the side of the road in the Mm -hmm. middle of the country, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was all amazing. I mean, I I learned so much. We all did. I mean, it was a, it was a strange band, kind of dysfunctional, not kind of. Highly dysfunctional, as <laughs> most bands are, as best I can tell. R- totally,
2: um, totally, and this is something I wanted to ask you about because, like, in, in you know, in thirteen years, I'm sure band drama reared its head, <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe and, once or twice. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you know, in in my experience, like, I've I've kind of joined more bands than I've started, and um, a couple in particular are bands that have been around for a while, like a you know, a decade or more. So there's there's kind of an existing dynamic between the founding members, you know, they're they're practically family and yeah. there's definitely a love hate thing there and yeah. and um so I've I've just been kind of thinking about how to navigate that. I think this is something a lot of drummers and musicians deal with as a hired gun. You know, mm-hmm. you, you get hired by a group either on a temporary or semi permanent basis. And you got to learn the songs. You got to you know learn the flow of the show. But you also have to kind of, as Peter Erskine would say, read the air right.
1: <laughs>
2: and yeah. figure yeah. out these personalities and how they all fit together. So I would imagine thirteen years in that band taught you a lot about how to manage uh, <laughs> uh, well, the the social yeah. dynamic of a band.
0: Yeah, and and I would also imagine that most people that are starting bands and and that have kept a band going for 13 years probably have pretty strong personalities yeah and uh you know you can't be casper Milktoast trying to (laughs) keep some band you know a group on the road um so yeah yeah it gets uh you can get some big personalities and with that comes some big conflicts yeah um yeah i mean yeah it was all it was hard i mean it's we we made very little money Mm -hmm. you know constantly whatever money came in we were reinvesting into the next record the next well keeping the van on alive keeping right (laughs) um advertising the whole all that stuff Mm -hmm. um and just trying to i mean i mean i learned how to live on very very comfortably on very little money Mm -hmm. we were always gone so it wasn't like we needed you know a a bedroom somewhere to just dump my stuff in a place to practice was kind of all I wanted. But, um, I mean, it is to me, it it is nice in the sense of, I know, you know, I can deal with whatever you can throw at me at this point.
2: Right. That's, that's what I was thinking. Like it, it raises your threshold for adversity or bullshit or, you know,
0: (laughs) be substantial. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and increases your ability to kind of deliver, under mm-hmm. under uh you know shitty circumstances
0: <laughs> yeah because yeah, you know uh, unless you're at the very top usually the circumstances are pretty shitty right uh, um and you know I'm even at the top it can be yeah it's always a joy joyride mm-hmm. um yeah my my son's really musical he's he's seven and a half and you know man, if he I, he loves it, he's he's so down into in in music and and the whole the whole thing, and like, well, you know, if you know that nothing is gonna stop you from being in music, then you know, let's go. I'll do everything I can. But right. if there's any doubt whatsoever, do the other thing and just do the music for fun. yep, yep. don't don't make it your what you have to do, or, you know how how you're paying the bills if if there's any question in your mind as, well, I could do music, or I could do, you know we can teach. Right, right. You know, preschool or something, do that, do that, and then <laughs> keep the love of music and just do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, you know, and obviously, I learned a lot about myself, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Thirteen years of non-stopping on the road and trying to keep a band together. I mean, I ended up handling a lot of the business stuff and, and the marketing end of things as well. Really? Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's interesting. It, it's obviously helped me a great deal now with what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, those are, the great skills and trying to learn how to, you know, build something out of nothing, right? Uh, and then build it, keep it going, and and try to get people to join in the vision and and push it forward. So, um, it was cool. Yeah, I, I I I love being in a band and I love creating the music. I've never been a, a big songwriter per se. That's not my. That's not really my passion, and it's not my whatever. So, um, in a lot of ways, I wish it were. It would be you know, the, the money's not being the session drummer, right? And, you know, the writer, the publisher, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but whatever, you know, you gotta go with the skills you got.
2: When you made the switch from being a touring musician to a studio musician, was that an intentional sort of refocusing?
0: Yes. Well, okay. So several things happened. So the band was on tour for 13 years. Um, I had, in college, I dated a woman for, for close to a year. We had a horrible breakup, you know, the kind of breakup where uh, I ended up with a glass of ice water in my lap at the restaurant, uh, <laughs> or, you know, one of the, oh, I don't want to speak to you again ever, or we became friends. Um, she was in New Jersey. And so the band was, it, it all kind of ties together. The band was, we were together for 13 years. Uh, the last three years, we were working with a producer named Ken Lewis, who was based in New Jersey. So the band was in Indianapolis. Ken was in New Jersey. He produced our last record, and which was, for me, that was the real transition between playing on on the road, struggling in a in a band, uh, doing the the road thing nonstop, and then transitioning to uh, to more of a studio role. Uh, Ken can produce the band. He produced our last record. We did, uh, recorded at a big place in Nashville. That's uh, that's no longer there. But I mean, that was the for me. That was. That was OK. This is what I want to do. Working with a producer who really knows how to produce a band, really knows how to produce a song, uh, knows how to get the sounds, get the performances, mix the whole thing and make it sound amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, and working in great studios with engineers who really know what they're doing. Right. Uh, and, um, I, you know, we'd had great engineers on the records the band had done, but this was a whole, you know, there was a giant room. Orchestra sized room, then the stone room, the wood room, the booth, all that stuff.
2: Yeah, uh, this
0: is this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life, right? Uh, so, so we produced, Ken uh, produced that record. The band was kind of running its course. I mean, I, I, um, um the former girlfriend and I had kind of reconnected. Thought, okay, you know, I'm. It's now or never. I'm, if if it's going to work out, you know, I need to see if it's going to. So, mm-hmm. hey. How about I move to New, York, New Jersey move in with you? Um, oh, okay, sure. So <laughs> I moved to New Jersey and then started working with Ken directly. I was still in the band. I was, I was uh, traveling back and forth to Indiana a lot, a lot actually, for a couple of years. And, um, uh, you know, kind of working with Ken from there. And at that point, you could do a lot more on the Internet. This is 2000, 2002. Um, so, you know, I was able to do work remotely. Then we would tour, come back. And, uh, and that worked well, but really at a certain point, okay, I need to just, you know, this has run its course. You got to pick one. <laughs> yeah. Pick one. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I, have been in, in Hoboken, New, New Jersey ever since then we're, you know, now married with, with a uh, child. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so then I moved out to, um, moved out to New York or to New Jersey and, um, the cost of living is dramatically higher out here. Yes, uh, you know my my rent in Indianapolis in a lovely house in a big place where you know I had to play twenty four seven, big basement, you know, close to downtown. I think my rent was two fifty a month. <laughs> 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 you know, oh. it's it a little more than that out here. Yeah, so, uh, it was immediately oh shit, how am I going to pay the bills? And um, so I, I started doing session work with Ken really early on. I had um, uh, I was, we were doing something, I think doing some studio work. you know, kind of fixing up his, his garage to record drums. And he said, Hey, uh, I need you to record for a uh, Jay-Z for the black album. Or, you know, what became the black, Oh, oh my God, this is, you know, my, it's my, this is, it, it's here, it's happening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so, um, you know, I started sprinting around trying to get all these sounds together. It was a, uh, you know, they, they were trying to recreate a, a an old sample, and um, I was working about like, two hours tuning and going mad. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, this, this is it. Ken came back in and said, oh, yeah, sorry. They, they, they had double booked and somebody else was already doing it. So, you know, forgetting. Uh, t- uh, firing. <laughs> like, oh, no, that's uh, it. My career is dead. I'm-. Right. right. <laughs> um, but um, so, so you know, I, I was doing session work for Ken as, as that was coming in. But that wasn't new. It was just too sporadic. Right. Uh, right. So... <laughs> Actually, you know, started doing house renovations just to. I uh, started on Ken's place just as a carpenter's assistant. The carpenter quit. Um, Ken said, Well, you want the job? All right, I've never done it, but right. how hard could right. it be? Uh, so, you know, read read a bunch of books and figured it out. And then, uh, so I did that for a couple of years, did some carpentry work for a, a big hip hop producer named Just Blaze, which was kind of cool. Um, that, was, that was a fun. Those are fun times, but you know the, the session couldn't even start till eleven o'clock at night, and we go till, you know, be doing carpentry till six in the morning. So wow. I think my my musician hours helped out there. Yeah, you know? um, and I told him one day, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm cutting cutting wood for you now, but one day I'm going to be cutting tracks for you, and and I have since. That's so cool. cool. I'm so glad not to be doing carpentry for for Just plays, but every once in a while I'll do something through Ken that for for, uh, for Just, and. Um, uh, so that was cool, but the um, my back was killing me from from you know I, I, when I was 20, I was uh, I was running late for a gig and I had one of those gigantic fiber trap cases. I don't know if you remember there there was they were kind of all the rage in the 80s where the huge trap cases where you put everything in. But this is also when every you know every stand had to be triple braced, because you know it might topple over in an earthquake or whatever so right you know this weighed i don't know what 100 pounds easily and i was running away for a gig and just reached down to to grab it and immediately threw my back out Ugh. really um and you know i could barely do anything for a couple of weeks chiropractors constantly so from that point forward every once in a while my, my back would really go out and um and and then doing all this carpeting work was not helping that one bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is in the early 2000s. And um, so, you know, I, I was playing a show, you know, I started just going on auditions on Craigslist and finding bands, you know, doing, doing this. I, um, so I did a, a few different things for um, for several years. and just started touring with with local New York City artists, or doing all the shows. Uh, and then in the meantime, you know, after I got out of the, the re- renovation business, and then we, we were able to buy an apartment in Hoboken. and I was able to fix it up having done all this stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then I shifted over to um, I'd always been buying and selling stuff on eBay, and just sort of shifted over to just all right, I, I could kill myself renovating houses and building studios, um, or you know, at least be screwing around with drums all day, right? Uh, so, I would start just going, going around and buying. Big piles of drums. Just you know, somebody's getting out of the business or whatever, and just buy the pile of stuff, go through it all, um, keep what I thought sounded good, sell the rest of it, and uh, and, and made a living like that for a while. Um, and there were this is before the uh, the financial meltdown
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: and whatever. I You know, I'm just list everything ninety nine cents, even if it was a two thousand dollar drum set, and uh, you know, and then sit back and just. Giggle at what people were paying for this stuff on eBay. Wow. Um. Okay. Oh, you know. Here you go. Yeah. Uh, but um, that was cool. And I, I, mean, I went through. I don't know how many drum sets, snare drum, every part you can imagine. Started building. You know, got a routing table. Was doing making hoops. Doing the whole. Um, just got really, really hands-on with a whole lot of drums. I mean, I might as well have been running a drum store out of my out of my Second bedroom and basement. Yeah. And um, this is interesting,
2: like, because it it sounds like you're, I mean, you're certainly not the first person to uh, tell this kind of story, but your first few years in New York were just anything and everything. Oh, yeah. Any kind of gig, any kind of work, carpentry, eBay, just like make it happen somehow.
0: Um, One day I shoveled dog shit. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? And I got an extra bonus for doing it. I need the money. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah man and
2: you know I think in my um I spent 5 years in LA and uh and I you know I did okay I I uh played some cool gigs and did a little bit of session work and played at Disneyland but looking back on it I I feel like if I um uh, you know, I had spent seven years in Kansas City and and I made the mistake of coming to L.A. thinking that anybody was going to give a shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and I feel like if I had taken more of an anything and everything approach when it came to, you know, music or any kind of work um, that I that I might have had more success there. But it reminds me of uh, I, I listen to the Mark Maron podcast all the time and he talks about how comics who are just starting out will do like. They'll be a doorman at the comedy store, or they'll wait tables at a at a comedy club, um, right. and he he feels like some young comedians are like, no, I don't want to start there. Like, I don't I don't want to be seen in public until I'm at a certain level. And right. he's like, but I mean, you 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 don't want to start. You're nothing right now. There's nowhere right. <laughs> there's nowhere right. to start right. but here. Um, it's
0: you want to start at the top and work sideways.
2: right <laughs> yeah yeah but it's like it's just a, a reminder for for me and and everybody listening like especially if you're starting out, especially if you're you're in a new town, do anything anything just yeah whatever that right. is. And like if, yeah. if you want to be a comedian, waiting tables at a comedy club is gonna like put you in the comedy world. yeah if you're in the drum world, playing with drums on eBay all day is gonna put you in the drum world. You yeah. know, building studios, doing carpentry for producers, that's going to put you in the music world. Yeah. And it's not ultimately what you want to be doing, but,
0: it, you know. No, but it's all part of the path of, I mean, you know, I built this place. Right. I didn't right. build it, but, you know, there's an existing building, but, you know, I've done a lot of work on this this room. And um, and if I hadn't had those experiences, I would, you know, probably chopped my arm off. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's all it's all great. i you know, the the other interesting thing for me with dealing with all these drums, I mean, I, thousands of... I can't tell you how many... Maybe not thousands of drums, but hundreds and hundreds of drums, symbols, whatever. Um, and what I found interesting was the drums that... The, the stuff that collectors got really excited about is different from what really sounded good. Mm-hmm. I mean, was, there was kind of a, a disconnect. And, and uh, my friend Jerry Porter, who's... Um, He's one of the top. Uh, he's out with. Uh, he's always out with Dick, Dick Dale now. But he's also one, uh, one of the top eBay guys on drums. Uh, so he and I, early on, were, were talking about this stuff. And I, I, I think I, I feel like I told Jerry, hey, you know, I've been selling drums on eBay. It's kind of something kind of cool. You should look into it. And then he ran with it and became one of the biggest guys doing it. Right. Uh, Has some amazing stuff. But he, he was. He told me once early on that he was. He realized. People are listening with their eyes on, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the finish. The, you know it's got oh these specs. Well, you know yeah, um, I, I'm I'm guilty of that certainly. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just I remember Jerry had, he had a an '80s Ludwig student steel snare drum, which I mean it was the kind of drum that selling on eBay. I'm like, oh man, if I got forty five dollars for that thing, I'd be lucky, and nobody's going to bid on it because nobody wants this drum. Mm-hmm. And he said listen to this thing. And he hit it. I mean, it had this attack that was just, I mean, I still, I dream about that drum and I wish I could, I wish he still had it so I could buy it from him. It was an amazing sounding snare drum. I mean, just this incredible rock and roll attack on this drum that, you know, there was nothing sexy about it in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And um, that taught me a lot. So I I just started really collecting all the stuff that, you know, I I would keep the stuff that was worth $45 on eBay, but it sounded great. Uh, and sell the, you know, the fancy blah, 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 whatever, you know, some collector would have that and it would sit on a shelf. Um, but that was really useful for where I am now with the, uh, with the studio stuff. And I, you know, I still have some of the drums, um, something happened later on after I opened the studio that changed all that, but, um, yeah, so that, that was kind of the early, um, my life is sort of, you know. It was high school through college and then Johnny Sacco for 13 years and then 2002 to 2010 just trying to figure out what I'm doing. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, married with a mortgage and trying to pay the bills and figure out how am I going to be a session guy and how am I going to do these tours and play, you know, and make a living as a drummer. And uh, so, you know, I was doing really well with, with selling eBay and was, was building this collection of, of uh, great sounding instruments. And then the global economy crashed Yep. and all of a sudden that model didn't work at all. I mean, I was just suddenly losing my shirt on these things. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was the final impetus to say, okay, I don't want to sell drums. I'm not a retailer. I'm a drummer. I want to be recording drums on records. That's really, at the end of the day, that's what, that's what my passion, that's what I want to do. I want to play the drummer on the song that, uh, you know, the hit song or the record that sounds great, whatever. Yeah. Um, So that's when I decided, "All right, screw this! I'm, I'm, forget this eBay thing. It's time to open the studio." So, um, I just dove headfirst into learning absolutely everything I could possibly could about how do you record drums? How do you know? How does it work? What's a microphone? Which end? <laughs> you know, which end points of things? Where right. you point, You know, all that stuff. And uh, I so I, I found a little a space in uh, in Hoboken. And if uh, are you familiar with Hoboken, New Jersey, at all? No. Okay, it's um. It's one subway stop on the other side of the Hudson from, from Manhattan. So okay. it's, it's actually, it's a great place to be, um, in terms of getting to the city. I mean, it's, you know, a 24 hour subway service, you know, it was a little more affordable than Manhattan at the time, not so much anymore, but, um, you know, it, it has a, a great, uh, a great music community. There was a, a club called Maxwell's that, which, which was a, a big, uh, big draw for a lot of acts. Um, you know Yola tango is in town um, sonic youth was here mm-hmm. but you know, there was there was a whole scene and um, so I was able to find a, a studio space in the uh, in the basement of an old factory building I think it was a wallpaper factory or something and um, and then just started trying to figure out how, how drums work. you know how do you, how do you record drums right uh, went through and did kind of the same thing just went through tons of stuff just started buying and selling and changed how I was selling but you know buying microphones trying to figure out preamps all that stuff um and started to get get somewhere and actually um and at that time let's see i think even i think um there was a there's a uh and jay-z record came out of that studio or the tracks came out of that studio so that's kind of my my proudest moment of that studio
2: yeah yeah um,
0: so you know it, it was kind of it was a crummy room, it was sort of a hellhole, but it was it was my hellhole. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, uh, the great thing you know, Hoboken is great in that it's you know right across the river from from Manhattan. And um, that's all swell. The problem with Hoboken is they built it on a swamp right at the river, basically at sea level. So uh-huh. uh, the back end of Hoboken would flood on a on a cloudy day. Especially <laughs> back then. So um, Hurricane Irene hit and uh, for for almost everybody here it was kind of a non-event. People were saying, "Oh my God, a hurricane! It's going to be a uh, catastrophe." Not much happened. Everyone just laughed about it. But uh, my studio, which was in the basement of a of a, uh, an old factory that was in a part of the town that was literally below sea level, uh, was trashed. So I mean, I had you know water in there, and all this stuff was gone, uh, or Jesus. you were just getting submerged in this nasty water for for days and days. Oh no! So I got. Uh, you know, I got a little crew of people together, bought a whole bunch of heavy-duty rubber boots and rubber gloves, and we just hauled everything out. You know, anything that could be possibly be salvaged, we hauled out. And um, so then I just – my neighbor let me dump it in his courtyard. This is in the middle of the city. So I just – my entire life's possessions were just uh, – not entire life's – but <laughs> my entire musical life's possessions were just dumped in this courtyard for a week just trying to air out and get – get rid of some of the stench while i figured out what was going on oh my god uh,
1: yeah
0: it was it was uh that was an intense year my my son had just turned one so i was still trying to figure out how to be a parent how to, <laughs> how to do all this stuff and then i've got this well you know a no studio now to work in B this pile of crap that's been you know what I, I couldn't tell what could be salvaged, what couldn't right uh, thank god i, I had insurance Mhm. Uh, and, you know, and, and, uh, which we learned, actually I learned back in the Johnny Sacco days, I think our first East coast tour, we were touring with, uh, the toasters and Murphy's law on, um, and what did you see? We went sightseeing for an hour and a half, came back, the van was gone. All our cash on tour was gone. The whole, all uh, to, nothing was insured. Right. Just weird. Dumb kids. They didn't know that what the hell we were doing, but after that, okay, right. Insurance, you got to insure your gear because that's how you're making a living. And if it gets, if you don't suddenly don't have it, and have no way to buy and replace it all again, you're you're screwed. Yeah,
1: so,
2: yeah. Um, so, at, I guess. oh, sorry. go ahead. At at the time that you were um, like before the hurricane, you're kind of building this studio, you're building your arsenal of gear, and you're you're building your knowledge. Was. Um, was there a time when you just had to spend hours and hours like just doing trial and error, not working for a project, just teaching yourself? Still do. Yeah, right, All right. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at, at what point did you start getting traction as far as uh, like developing a name with a few people like, hey, I can hire Dylan for this thing?
0: Right. Um, within the past, it's probably been about the past 10 years. Can. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Lewis has been great. I mean, he's, I've been, you know, he, I was working with, I was in Johnny Sacco. He liked what I was doing. He liked that. I had a bunch of different, uh, I could cover a bunch of different bases and, um, you know, both rock and hip hop, uh, you know, and just had a bunch of different sounds even then, you know, kind of, you could just, whatever he threw at me, I could figure out a way to get it to him. So right. I think that worked for him. And, um, so you would start to, um, you would recommend me when, when people needed stuff, but Uh, Before I had my own studio, it was just a much it was just harder to get into that world because, you know, a producer is going to hire. Okay, I need live drum tracks for a hip hop thing. You know, before I had my own place, it was okay. well, I got to hire the session drummer. I got to book the studio, book the engineer. You know, it's this whole thing. Um, So for me, you know, I just I didn't walk right into the New York City studio scene by any means. I kind of had to invent my own. My own way into it, and and a lot of it was just okay. Hey, right, the the, uh, you know, the big studios are closing left and right. Anyhow, right, uh, they can't afford the uh, the real estate, and the budgets are collapsing. So all right, screw it. I'm you know I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, you know sort of my own my
2: self-contained unit right right and so you might uh you know especially when you're just starting out in your own studio you you probably don't have all the gear and all the expertise that the big studio had that that engineer had but you were a one-stop shop you were one call like dylan will take care of it so
0: a whole lot cheaper
2: (laughs) right right right
0: that's you know so yeah i i didn't do that many big dame especially out of the old the old place yeah um but you know, I got of Jay Z, right, West record. So yeah, okay, it was, I, You know, I figured out something.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: But uh, you know, and, and I'm sure my space five years now is going to be. Well, you know, whether or not I'm still in this space, we'll see. Mm-hmm. That's five years long. But you know, I'm sure I'll know a whole lot more in five years than I will today. Right.
2: in addition to you know kind of amassing all of this gear and and all this expertise it's it's obvious to me that you've just listened to a shitload of music um and yeah. I, I wanted to talk to you like specifically about the snare drum thing because you know not not only do you have to kind of equip yourself with knowledge of of you know construction and tuning and different eras of of whatever, but, um, how did how did you go about creating like musical and cultural reference points for yourself to kind of construct and conceptualize, you know, how you were going to approach a track?
0: Right. Well, for starters, um, you know, Kenny and Sean both have. And especially I, I don't know if they still have the same amount, but I mean, go to Kenny's place or Sean's place. They would have 100 snare drums. So mm-hmm. I have 50. I feel like I've got nothing. <laughs> oh, man, oh man, I've got nothing compared to those guys Yeah um, But, uh, so that, you know, that Early on I learned, oh yeah, right I guess there are a whole bunch of different ways That you can play a snare drum or tune it Or, you know, and they all kind of sound different uh, You know, it took a long time for me to hone in on You know, I, I there would just sort of just be this wall of drums Trying, to, I don't know, I mean, how are you supposed to figure out How, how any of them work? Yeah So, I I mean, so for me, it kind of started with with advice I heard Kenny give at a a clinic when somebody brought up that same question. Like, you know, how do you how do you know how do you why so many snare drums and how do you even know where to start? Kenny's advice was, well, it's easy. Um, If you don't have anything else, just start with a five by 14 supraphonic. You know, if that's all you show up to a gig with or a session with, you're you're fine. No one's ever going to say, oh, you've got to. Oh, that um <laughs> you know, it's like, okay and then great then you've got so you've got five by 14 aluminum you know you've got that sound and it's a classic sound okay now five by 14 wood. get a you know a maple drum or whatever and then okay well you want something warmer. now get a mahogany drum you want something deeper okay get a deeper mahogany drum you want something brighter get a steel shell drum you know whatever um so for me it was kind of just starting real simple you know mm-hmm. <laughs> my 60s love super fun i can just huh, okay, right, oh, yeah, I get it. And then if I tune it up, it does this, I tune it down, you know, muffle it. Oh, wow, that kind of sounds like, uh, you know, that sounds like the funky drummer sound or whatever. Um, right, and so this is,
2: this is what I wanted to ask you about. Like, all the time you reference, um, you know, an album or an artist or an era, um, did, you, did you have to be, like, really intentional about what you were listening to, or was it just kind of by osmosis over the years
0: um, you developed
2: these reference points?
0: Kind of both. Um, you know, in in, in the hip hop world, especially, there just there's this sort of canon of classic breakbeats that you just have to understand. You know, if you if you don't know synthetic substitution and you don't know the funky drummer, you don't know you know sing a simple song. All these just classic hip hop breakbeats, which are yeah. you know somebody went, people have gone through these records and picked the absolute coolest measure of drums they possibly could <laughs> and they you know, put the song on it. Man, you better know those 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 measures of uh, whatever, and, you know, and it, it doesn't hurt if you can learn the rest of the track too because right. uh, uh, that's useful because, I mean, you know, I think for a lot of a lot of the hip hop producers, you know, you got the one measurement, man, I would love to have the drums from the second verse where he does that, that other cool thing, but there's all this other stuff on top of it, you know, it wasn't open, I couldn't just grab it. So if you can, you know, get the sound and feel of that one measure and then, you know, be able to figure out how to get the sound and feel of the other, rest of it, mm mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of give you can give people what they've always, always dreamed of, which is basically the multi tracks to uh, um, all these classic tracks that are just not available. Right, and I like what you were saying about like starting with
2: with one drum, or if you only have like a couple three snare yeah. drums, you know, there are a million ways to um, to manipulate the sound of a drum, and you can kind of imply or allude to a certain sound or a certain vibe. Um, yeah. And, and I've found that the, like the more I the more I experiment with the, the drums I do have, like if I'm if I'm trying to manipulate a certain sound out of a drum that's like maybe that's not that drums bag, right. I'll, like I'll start reaching for it. And then when I come across the drum that is that bag, I'm like, oh, that's that's the one. Right. I, I need that one. Right. <laughs> I yeah. got I got 70 percent of the way there with with this drum. But this yep. this one here is 100. So,
0: yeah. And, and it's usually yeah, you spend two hours. Getting seventy percent, you know. Well, maybe if I change the snare, maybe. Blah, 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 and then you ah, screw it up. You know, you pull this drum, and I was, oh my god! It, right. You know, I just wasted. <laughs> but you didn't waste anything. You know, you you learned the capabilities of that drum. Right. Right. Where it wants to be. Um Yeah, that happens to me all the time. I mean, you know, and having done it for so many years now, I it's it's a lot quicker. I you know, I kind of know. No, no, not that one. This one. You know, it's. It's really going to be, OK, I've got 50 to choose from, but it's these four are really whatever. And, you know, pretty quickly, it's it's between these two. And sometimes it's I don't know, we could go with that one or we can go, you know, whatever. Pick one. Right. Well, it's Tuesday. So we'll do the, you know, the blue drum and it's Thursday. Let's do the red drum.
2: <laughs> so right. and it doesn't seem like there's a, a right answer, per se, especially when you're doing drums on an original track. Mm-hmm. Um you know, yeah. I mean, it's pretty subjective, isn't it?
0: It's highly, highly. Yeah. You know, and what sounds good to me probably sounds <laughs> the other drum sounds good to you, right? Right, right. Yeah, I, actually, I find it fascinating. I, I've just been, you know, I've been obsessed with snare drums, and I've, I've been uh, doing a lot of work with um on, on Instagram just talking about snare drums. And um, you know, I started putting compilations of well, here are all my pickle of the drum or whatever. And um, I think it's really cool and that I'll put these up, and then you know, everybody really connects with. Some drum, you know, the ones that I think eh, that one eh, was I feeling, so like, oh my God, that's my favorite drum, yeah, uh, the uh, that's interesting, and you know, but but nobody says the one that I think it sounds the best is no one else is saying, oh yeah, yeah, you know, that's the one, so it's
1: right, cool. it's, right. You know,
0: that's the glorious thing about music,
2: yeah, and speaking of your instagram i was I was looking at that, and there's there's a couple cool sort of compilations, like you said of like multiple snare drums um in in the you know playing the same beat on the same drum set like i don't think you you change anything else about right the setup or the sound like you just switch the snare drum out and you know i'm certainly not the first one to say this but it's unbelievable how much the the snare affects just the the entire vibe of of a song um and i think no matter how many snare drums you own no matter if you're you know playing in the studio or live i i think that's one of the things that that um, can put you sort of um, you know th- that's one of the ways you can you can set yourself apart from other drummers is making intentional choices about right. your snare sound um, it seems like one of those things that, that band leaders or singers you know it's not something they're going to be cognizant of it's not something they're oh I see he chose that snare drum with that tuning right. it's like right. it, shit is just going to work shit is going to yeah. sound and feel good and they won't be sure why but you know why, yeah, yeah absolutely
0: well and, and also um in the world I'm in the I'm not playing incredibly dense parts I'm not playing um, you know I, i'm I play pretty simple I mean you know my the, the biggest song I ever played on Girl on Fire has literally six notes, Christ. two you know two notes on the snare and four notes on the kick, I think mm-hmm. and that that's it that's you know so those two snare drum notes are incredibly important I mean, yeah. you know, it was, and, and I did a video for Modern Drummer about it I, you know just went through all the stuff exactly what we're talking about because they knew exactly what they wanted to sound like and they didn't give a crap about what my artistic interpretation is it's just I want two snare drums notes that sound huge mm. you know this, this song's gotta be a hit um, okay there we go it's, uh, <laughs> you know so there, there are times. I mean, I have friends who are who are doing a lot of jazz, jazz drumming. They, you know, they have a couple kits. You know, one a bigger one, a smaller one. They have a bag of cymbals, a couple of snare drums sound great, and that's their instrument. You know, right. that's that's their sound. That's and there's a lot to be said for that too. I mean, that's a whole lot easier to haul around. <laughs> and do. But, you know, I, I mean. That's not, that's not been my path. I mean, and you know, obviously I like all this crap, so right, uh, right, uh, it works out for me, but you know, like, oh man, that's, that's kind of cool. You know, you just, you just show up and here's my sound, man. You know, yeah, <laughs> I have somebody else, but this is my sound. Right. Um, right. So for me, I, I I'm, I'm kind of. I feel like more like a chameleon in a way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it reminds me of like how, you know, chefs are, are constantly sort of developing their palate to right. to figure out how flavors meld and, and, you know, what's coming from where and, and how right. to, you know, they're, they're curating. They're constantly yeah. curating. And I feel like that's what, what you and, and people like you are doing through the yeah. gear they have, through the expertise they have, and through the listening experience right. you have, you're right. able to just kind of, put together a collage of uh of of sound and and tones yeah um what do you feel are the the kind of the fashion of tone right now it seems like that uh you know finding different tones is really at the forefront of what a lot of drummers are doing um do you think do you think there are um you know trends that come and go really quickly or do you think every everything has to be a kind of paid attention to and
0: i don't really particularly notice a trend i mean um, what i do is so all over the map i mean mm-hmm. it, oh, i i never know what the session is i i, I don't see a trend I, actually the one trend i did notice a couple of years ago was uh i had a, a couple different clients randomly completely different clients who i'm positive don't know each other uh, <laughs> so, okay yeah for this track i'm kind of looking for a um Kanye meets the White Stripes vibe. And, uh, I mean, that kept coming in. I, I think there must have been three or four different sessions where they said, I want kind of Kanye meets the White Stripes. And I think they were referencing, um, uh, it was the track Black Skinhead, and then um, uh, White Stripes. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Seven Nation uh, Army. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that's kind of, those were both sort of in the, in the air at the time. And, you know, I could see the, how they, those could match together, you know, kind of developed my Kanye meets white stripes drum set. Right. Oh, <laughs> kind of, okay, all right. Well, there's a, there's another one. Yeah. End of the list. Um, yeah, I, I, I was talking to, um, I was talking to, uh, G Maxwell of, um, of, uh, with Miranda Lambert and, uh, he's, he's in Nashville now. And, uh, uh, after a show they played and, um, he was telling me about Nashville, which is not a world I, I know much about. I, I've, been there a few times, but it's always arrive, set up, sound check, play, dinner, leave. Right. Uh, never spend any time there. So he was just talking, telling me about the Nashville scene, just saying he was noticing that it's uh, kind of the old way is shifting, where it was kind of really heavy, bottom style, or, you know, clubs beating it out. And now it's, they're shifting to more searching for those tones, like you were mentioning. Yeah. Um, which I thought was interesting and said, you know, it's just kind of, it's opening up in terms of, you don't have, it's not just this way. You know this this tight tightly confined thing, right? Like, the stuff. So, and what you mentioned about like people listening
2: with their eyes, um, I I think that that is going away. Um, mm-hmm. Just by what I'm seeing on on Instagram and just what what people are putting out there, they're they're not they're not saying, "Hey, check out this finish, check out these new drums I just got." They're saying, right. "Check out this piece of shit that sounds amazing," <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And even even for live shows, like people people are bringing. What they think sounds good to to live shows, and and what it looks like, you know they they don't they don't give a shit, right? Um, which is right. is you know it's it's tough for me because I'm I'm someone who's very sort of aesthetically motivated like i'm i'm visually stimulated um and uh, you know there's there's still the the nine-year-old inside me that that likes the sparkly drums and that yeah. high gloss wood stain <laughs> and you know are, um, gorgeous.
0: are you kidding me yeah
2: i'm i'm still kind of getting used to the idea that that drums and cymbals that look like hell can sound amazing
0: <laughs> there, there is a lot to that and um the yeah bringing you know gear with a vibe to a session yeah that counts for something yeah i mean there there are a few things that there are a few items that i have in the studio that are not my favorite you know they're kind of whatever they they don't turn me on but they say you know it has the right badge or it has the right model or whatever you know Mm -hmm. and Having that, people. Are like, oh yeah! Oh cool! You've got the blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. We got it. And then you know, and then we hear it again some three other things that sound better, and we forget all about that. But you know, it's you know okay, right? This is you're, we're not screwing around. We've got the stuff. Yeah. We've got whatever. Um, but I mean, you know, one of my absolute favorite bass drums ever is I got for literally twenty five dollars, and uh, it's a uh the low end PV drums from the uh. From the early early 90s with wow. this weird I, it's a crazy drum that's all it had fallen apart and somebody had re-glued it very poorly and the rap is all bubbling and whatever and man, it sounds incredible <laughs> I mean, it, just, it has this low end punch I mean it's just an amazing rock and roll bass drum and uh you know 25 bucks yeah so
2: yeah
0: you know I've got a bunch of those
2: right yeah I've I've got i I've got to get used to just kind of uh Know, given given that stuff a chance um, yeah and,
0: but, and you know on the other hand people are making gorgeous instruments these days
2: absolutely and and I, you know I, I gotta be not so judgy about um, what I see because uh, I'm I've, I've always been you know really concerned with appearance and and if you know if I saw if I saw a drummer with a, a drum set that looked like hell showing up to a nice gig in a nice club or whatever I'd be like man what are you like, don't you want to match your surroundings a little bit? Like, don't you, yeah. you know? Um, so.
0: Uh, I, my, so in the 90s, Johnny hockey used to tour a lot. We played in Minneapolis once at uh, First Avenue or, or Little Room. And the opening band, i almost certain was the Bad Plus.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, I You know, before I, before anybody had ever heard of them, I, I'm, I'm, I'd put good money on it, yeah. And I remember the drummer. You know, this guy showed up with a crappy student Pearl export kit, and you know, shitty cymbals, and and all the felts were missing. You know, you're just like, what?
1: The
0: What's this guy? And then they started playing. Holy shit! What right. What was that? <laughs> and um, I mean, it was it was mind-boggling. That was that was uh, an opportunity for me to say, huh? Yeah, I. <laughs> I had totally written this guy off as, uh, you know, uh, he's not a serious musician because he doesn't have a serious set of drums or whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. He played the shit out of those drums. Yeah. And it sounded incredible. So, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to, you know, learn something. Learn something, why don't you?
2: Talk a little bit about marketing yourself and, and marketing your studio, um, right. you know, kind of just your, your approach in your, your written content on your website and, and your, your photo content, because um, this is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. One of my, one of my side rackets is, is writing bios for oh, wow. drummers and musicians and bands.
0: Um, uh, we got to talk because I hate. I'm so sick of my own tone. Oh, but no, but yours is yours is great. Yours I'm is so sick of listening to my you know, <laughs> my <own> voice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, like writing writing about yourself and pitching yourself is is really hard. And
0: um, uh, no, but he's a, but as a dynamic bold individual, I <laughs> <He's> am <laughs> <dynamic>, bold individual. <laughs> um, <Shut> up. <laughs>
2: But like has has your uh, you you have a very navigable website it it makes you want to keep clicking on things cool. um how how did you how did you put that together?
0: well, I am lucky in that um, when I'd first opened the studio in hoboken i the, the new studio after you know I rebuilt after the hurricane I was able to build a dramatically better space that I can actually have clients come in and not be You know, word for their safety, right? (laughs) Uh, And uh, you know, it looks looks good on camera. And you know, I'm I'm a very visual guy as well. My my actually my first love was art. I thought I was going to be a a graphic designer, but I'm Mm. I'm uh, I'm colorblind, mildly colorblind. So that yeah, okay, fine. I'll be a drummer instead. But so I'm I'm a huge enthusiast. Let's just say of of you know graphic design art, just any you know I collect old weird stuff that just looks cool to my eye mm-hmm. and um so I, so I, I did the studio and, and i'd already done this uh this track for alicia key so the local paper wrote something about me uh and and uh, so this guy wrote me and said hey i'm you know i'm down the street um i'm putting something together can i interview you yeah, sure okay whatever and um so it was nick ruffini from drummer's resource yeah we know nick yeah i yeah, yeah nick uh nick connected us so yeah um um OK, you know, sure, whatever. And turns out, you know, we live five blocks from each other and he yeah. lives for the studio. Um, and Nick really gets he gets marketing better than anyone I know. So mm-hmm. basically marketing myself is me just listening to Nick or having Nick's voice in my ear saying, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Do this.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um so for me, it was it was the process of trying to figure out sort of the old way of doing things, where you know, sort of the analog world of, you know, keep all keep all the guard all your secrets, and you know, you gotta you can't, you know, people are gonna pay you if you know if you're gonna tell them how to do something, you know, you gotta hold it all in inside and 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 don't let it out. Whatever, um, just you know, man, it's a everything is out there for free. Everything's the whole world is there. The whole universe of. So you yeah. either you know just all right here's everything I know here's right here's what I got if this is useful to you awesome if it isn't you know y- you'll 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 go somewhere else
2: yeah that's that's it's, the way the conversation is there you're exactly right like everything ever is out there for, yeah, free. for free so you can either be part of that conversation Or you can just keep your toys at home. I mean, it it reminds me of what we were saying about, like, the comedian waiting tables in the comedy club. It's like you you can either be in that world serving pasta or stay home.
0: Right. (laughs) And which one do you think you're going to learn more? Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's it's uh, I find it interesting for, you know, I'm obviously I'm the age I am. I was born in 70. Um, and there are guys who I've, I've met in the city who, you know, played on huge records that we've all heard our entire life, mm-hmm. um, who are maybe 10, 10 or 15 years older than me, who just really can't make that transition or, you know, just really struggling with the uh, how way I'm supposed to just give everything away for free. <laughs> you know I, I've spent my lifetime building this and, you know, I, I get it, but. The old ways are the old ways are gone. Right, right.
2: They're not
0: coming back.
2: Yeah, not coming back. And in a sense, it's like giving giving part of yourself away for free. But in another sense, it's free advertising. Like Instagram doesn't charge you anything to (laughs) you know to put your shit out there.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I guess I just I try to put out, you know, hey, I think this is cool. Check it out. Mm-hmm. If you think it's cool, great. Then, you know, hit the little like button. Right. And there you go, <laughs> and then, okay, cool. Well, I think that's cool. I think that's cool. And yeah. Here's how I, So that's just, that's been my approach. And, um, you know, it's taken me a while to figure out how to do that. Because, you know, I was used to trying to market a band back in the 90s when it was, you know, mail order. And, uh, you know, playing a lot of shows, selling stuff at shows, trying to get people to come to a Website and you know trying to learn HTML and figure out how to just you know I have this be this informational only thing Mm -hmm. and um, yeah now it's just everybody expects everything for free so
2: Right. right you know
0: and I don't know if you can draw
2: like a direct line between the two things but I would imagine that staying active on social media putting you know putting stuff out there whether it's little samples of stuff or opinions or whatever you know just keeps you in the in the forefront of the minds of the people you work with whether it's producers or artists or um you know if somebody hears about you in in europe and they visit your website and they're like well okay he's got a bunch of gear and let's see what his instagram is doing and if your instagram is current and there are more examples of how you work what you sound like then you know it just it reinforces your your marketability
0: it's cool i mean you know I enjoy it the problem is i mean time and energy and money are so finite yeah and the older i get the more i realize just how i mean man i look up and another year has melted away <laughs> you know, and especially since i became a parent like, oh my god where did i mean you know it's already july what what happened to the Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> what happened uh, to 2014, man? <laughs> yeah, I, just, I was just there. And now it's
1: yeah. um,
0: so, you know, trying to juggle all this stuff and, you know, and then, you know, I, I have actual work to do that I have to have to do to actually pay the bills. So, right, right, um, right. You know, I, I've been lucky in that I've, I've been able to um, have a couple part time assistants over the uh, past few years, maybe past four, actually, since the hurricane when. Uh, I you know had an insurance check and this mountain of crap that needed some of it had to be thrown away. Some of it, I mean, all of it needed a lot of work. So that was the first time I, uh, you know, what? actually that ties into what we were talking about earlier of of you know you got to know when to do it yourself and when to when not to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and in the past, I used to I'm going to do everything myself. I you know DOI, I'm I'm going to I'm going to learn how to do everything and I'm I, I don't need anybody you know, one man, whatever. Right. Girl, you know, man, if I could have, you know, hiring a real graphic designer who really knows what they're doing, hiring somebody who really knows how to market, somebody who really knows how to write copies, somebody right. really knows, you know, mix a record,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: you know, and that's a lot of so much of what I do is, I mean, I, I'm working very closely with mix engineers and it's, you know, it's, so I, I'm, I'm kind of providing the raw materials that I'm not a mix engineer. I mean, I I can give you a mix that you'll say, "Okay, right. Okay, I get what he's going for." But okay, you know, move aside. Right, I'll do the
2: job. Well, this is another thing about running your own studio is that, uh, like, you don't you don't have to be uh, (laughs) like a full fledged recording engineer or mixing engineer. to to make some money recording drums and and put out some good output because right. as as I understand it I haven't gotten into this world yet but as I understand it a lot of drummers just give you raw tracks that's yeah and on air gigs or sound better or whatever they'll put it in their profile like I am not a mixing engineer I am right. going to send you raw drum tracks and what you do with them is your business yeah um so I think uh-huh. that's that's a like a mental hurdle for a lot of drummers myself included like you you don't have to know everything you just have to start somewhere right.
0: you know i mean they better be good sounding raw tracks I right mean, you know and it's you better know what the hell you're doing uh just because you have 20 mics on the drums <laughs> if none of them are usable uh-huh. you know you got a problem yeah uh, so yeah so actually that was kind of a i sort of drew a mental line in the sand when i was first opening this place of thinking you know looking at this overwhelming i want to be i'm going to start it you know a remote drum studio Oh my God! Well, uh, right, what do I do.
2: That's like uh, that's like saying I, I want to get into Zen Buddhism. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and start my own. Uh, right, I'm gonna start my own temple. <laughs> yeah, my so own like, uh, temple. Uh, uh, okay, well, what do you, where do you start? Um, so for me, it was the, the line in the sand was kind of I want to be a. I'm going to really understand the tracking and, you know, tracking to all of the source, you know, get it right at the source, get, get all the drums, right. Get the performance, right. Get the, you know, the feel, right. Get all that stuff, Get the mics, the right mics in the right places, uh, through the right preamps, you know, r- just get everything. So it, it sounds great. And then you can build your entire production on this, this foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, I mean, you probably shouldn't be sending a final mix drums because, if your 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 drums are the that's the start of the foundation. I mean, it's it's rare for me that I'm playing. You know, everything's done, and I'm playing at the very end. I mean, actually, a lot of um, a lot of my bigger records are are that situation where the song is done. And I mean, I did a, a Kanye's uh, Kanye's record where it was Monday. I got the call that we had to re- cut the drums for the song, and I think the the record was on the shelves by. Friday or Saturday. I mean, it was it was wow. an insanely short turnaround, and it was it was the record's done. It's mixed. It's you know we're gonna take out the thing we can't clear and put the other thing in, and it had better sound exactly. I mean, there there can't be the slightest difference. Mm-hmm. And it was easy for me. I you know easy. I mean, I worked till five in the morning. Uh, <laughs> but then Ken Lewis, who put it all together. I mean, he had to put an entire gospel choir together in twenty four hours from scratch. Yeah. Just uh, hey, I need a, a gospel choir, you know, and it's got to be done and sounding perfect by Wednesday. I don't think he slept for three days straight. Jesus, so I can't do that. I mean, I don't have that. I, <laughs> I gotta have my beauty sleep. I can do that one night. <laughs> I sure, can't do it for for three in a row. Right. Uh, but uh, I lost my train of thought. Well,
2: no, I, I like the idea of like you're you're gonna get the basic shit right. The, mm-hmm. the ground level stuff, the stuff that you can control, the stuff that you know about. Yeah. Like put your energy yeah. into getting that stuff, right?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, mixing is a whole, that's a whole different world, you know, that's, and for me it was, you know, especially back then when, when plugins weren't quite as developed as they are now, I think, well oh, shit, am I supposed to be buying, you know, Poltex and, and 1176 and, you know, an 1176 stereo, that's a couple grand, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, that's in addition. All the preamps and the mics and the drums and blah, 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 you know the converters and all that other stuff. I just like, okay, yeah, just that you know, I'm I'm chopping it off. I I have friends who are amazing mix engineers and I'm I can happily send you in their direction and they'll do a much better job than whatever I'm going to give you. So, right,
2: right. Uh, and I mean that's not unlike the decision where you, like you look at the classical and jazz guys and you're like, Bad, I'm never going to be one of those guys.
0: <laughs> it's not, and I'm okay with that. No? Yeah happily support their their work, and you know, right? It's, it's incredible music. So
2: yeah,
0: yeah, you know, you gotta know your strengths and and know what weaknesses you should really should focus on. And others are just, you know, I'm never gonna be a, a great graphic designer either because I'm colorblind. How <laughs> just gonna change that? Right. So yeah. right. Uh, well, hey
2: man, it was it was great talking to you. I'm I'm glad uh, I'm glad Nick hooked us up. Um, Thanks, Nick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. taking the time, man. And continued Absolutely. success. Hopefully uh, well, ho- hopefully the hurricanes will steer clear of Hoboken uh, in
1: the
0: future. I'm not I'm not banking on that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get, that get that insurance, kids. Yeah. Get <laughs> insurance. And, and if and yeah, yeah. Final closing note, insure your gear. Yeah. Insure your gear. If you need recommendations, I'll be happy to give you one. But do it. It's not that hard. It's not that expensive. And it'll if you ever need it, man, you will be so thankful you did. Yeah. That's it. That's my PSA.
2: Great talking to you, man. Likewise. Thanks, Zach. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks again to Dylan for that talk. A very cool perspective from his little mission control there in Hoboken. Thanks also to our mutual buddy, Nick Ruffini, for hooking us up. If you follow us on Instagram, be on the lookout for a takeover by Dylan. He's going to take us through his studio, give us a look at his process, and hip us to a few of the essential pieces of gear he can't live without, so it should be useful for those of us who are in the process of getting our recording game together. Once again, subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher and iTunes, leave us a rating and review, tell a friend about us, anything and everything helps us grow, and we appreciate it all. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. Thanks, as always, to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. And thanks for listening. Cheers.